It is 3 a.m., and Gethsemane Abbey is wrapped in a cloak of darkness, as impenetrable as the silence that surrounds it. The forests and hills in the midst of which it sits are enveloped by a dense fog, much like this morning's, a fog that adds layers to the quietness and the darkness. But within its sanctuary, already the monastery is stirring. Monks emerge from doors leading from their living quarters to the church. A light is emitted from the opening door, and now and again, if you're lucky, you can just make them out, processing quietly to their places in the choir to stand or to sit in prayer. By 3.15, they will all be in their places, ready for the first office of the day, vigil. A voice speaks, O God, come to my assistance. All respond, O Lord, make haste to help me. So begins the day, and so begins the liturgy of the hours, the work of God as it is called in this ancient Christian practice that's over 1,500 years old. Give us water to drink. I've always thought Moses was the hero of today's story and that the people of Israel were the problem, the enemy. I mean, how dare they whine to Moses about water to drink so soon after being rescued from slavery? How dare they complain when God has done so much for them? Who do they think they are? But now, as I've been journeying from place to place, in my own walk with you and with God, I'm beginning to wonder if my own issues with self-sufficiency and vulnerability have clouded, have fogged up my reading of today's story. I'm also wondering the same thing about the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. For years, I thought his request for a drink from a Samaritan woman was just a setup an elaborate ruse to get her to confess the story, her story, to him. But now, as I journey from place to place in my own walk with you and with God, I'm, I'm not so sure anymore. Putting these two stories together during this season of Lent, I wonder if they are meant to remind us that owning our thirst, our need, and our hunger is part of what it means to be a people who follow from place to place a living God. The Israelites and Jesus ask for a drink of water. And when they do that, when they admit their thirst, they show both their need and their dependency on other people. And if we're honest, we're not impressed. We're not impressed because we don't like showing our need, our dependency on other people. And yet, if we read the text closely, in response to these demonstrations of vulnerability, of openness, of honesty from Jesus and from the people of God, both the woman at the well and Moses are compelled to share their own surprise and discomfort, their own wants and longings and needs. Revelations that in turn invite, open up a deeper conversation about life and the life of faith. For without these requests for water, 
to drink from the people of God and from the Son of God, we might never have known that our God can draw water from a rock and living water from deep within a well. For a confession, I am a sucker for superhero TV shows and movies. Even though I know I'm not the target demographic, I watch the shows religiously. In fact, the show I'm currently binge-watching is The Flash. It's a great show. I highly recommend it. Now, i be honest, I've been binge-watching a few shows over the past few months. I began with Luke Cage. I moved on to Supergirl. Great writing. And then I... That was a joke. And then I moved on to, to Jessica Jones. And when I'm done with The Flash, I'm going to move on to The Arrow and eventually Iron Fist. Now, as I make my way through these superhero stories and their riveting screenplays, I'm, I'm noticing a pattern developing. Soon after the hero discovers her power, she decides to go it alone, to make her own way, resisting the help offered by family and close friends. And she does this. She goes her own way. She goes it alone, both to protect the people she loves, but also to prove to herself and to them her strength and her independence. Of course, in time, usually about three-fourths of the way through the opening season, the heroine realizes that even someone with superhuman strength or speed or X-ray vision needs help. And so the moment comes when the hero asks for help from her family and her friends, which of course transforms this narrative about a hero into a true ensemble piece with countless storylines to explore in seasons two, three, and four. You need help. I need help. He needs help, and she needs help. We need help. All of us need help because we all know deep down that hunger and that thirst that we just can't satisfy on our own, which is why from time to time we need to ask for a drink of water. We need to ask for a drink of water from a stranger, from a loved one, from a colleague, from an enemy perhaps, or from a friend. In spiritual terms, this request, give me something to drink, is a confession of sorts, an honest confession that reorients us to one another and to God. To ask for a drink of water, like I told the kids, it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It's a sign of strength because none of us, not even Jesus, it appears, are meant to go it alone. There are a lot of articles out there written for folks like me and church leaders describing what it takes to grow a church in the 21st century. And in nearly every one of the blog posts or articles that are out there, there's a section in the article, short or long, there's a section about what millennials, what young people, are looking for in a church or a community of faith today. And while there's little consensus among scholars or even among millennials about exactly what it is they want, there is one thing that everyone agrees that they're looking for. Young people today want more. They want more from their leaders. 
They want more from their fellow disciples. They want more from their communities of faith. They want more from their God. They are not satisfied. Young people today are thirsty, which means they want their faith communities to express and profess a desire for something more, a longing for things to be better for themselves, for the world, for the city they live in. They aren't looking for places where people model self-sufficiency and strength. They're looking for places where people are honest and open about their needs. And if they can't find this honesty, if they feel like those with whom they are worshiping and serving are generally satisfied, they'll find a place, a community, religious or not, that is thirsty for justice, for hope, for equality, and for peace. We are living in a time where self-sufficiency is praised and codependency is shunned. And while a good political debate can and should be had about how we can best help one another, and there are different ways to help one another, we can debate the how. But every spiritual journey, from Moses to Sarah to David to Mary to Paul to yours and to mine, every single spiritual journey with God in community begins with an emission of thirst. Every journey with God begins with an honest confession that things just aren't working, that something is missing, and that there's this hunger, this longing, that is yet to be satisfied. When the people cried out to Moses in the desert, they weren't being unfaithful, they were being honest. It's hot out there, and they were thirsty for some water. And when Jesus asked the woman at the well for a glass of water, he wasn't being weak or passive-aggressive or manipulative. He was embracing. He was showing her and us what it means to be human. As I sat with both stories this week trying to figure out what they had to say to us as a church, I noticed something in the text that I hadn't before. In both stories, the admission of thirst, the request for water, is not made directly to God. It's made to another person. The people don't grumble to God that they're thirsty. They find Moses and grumble to him. And Jesus doesn't ask God to rain down water from heaven to feed his parched soul. He asks a woman he meets at a well. Which got me wondering if it might be our willingness to share our hunger and our thirst with another person that opens the door for God to do something amazing in our life. It's hard for us. We are a competent, self-sufficient, quote-unquote, successful people. It's hard for us to ask others for what we need. But what if, what if being vulnerable to other people is what opens us up to God? We spend so much time making spirituality about this. What if it's this? What if admitting that we are thirsty, that we are hungry, that we are longing for something more, what if admitting that to another living, breathing human being on which we might have to rely, what if that's what makes possible an experience of all the ways God actually provides? John Philip Newell writes about the collapse of his father's ego as he suffered dementia over the last few years of his life. As any of you who've made that journey with a loved one knows, it is painful 
to watch someone you love slowly but surely slip away as they lose their memory and their words. But John Philip Newell writes that amidst all the pain he felt at his father's passing, he writes it was also a beautiful transition, a beautiful time to see a time where he saw his father's true essence shine through. As he became more dependent on other people, his father's feelings flowed more freely, and his connection with those around him was more and more transparent. Now, as he spent more time with his father in the last year of his life, he noticed, Newell noticed, that the people who visited him the most were a Muslim couple, Sylvia and Bosch. Years earlier, they had escaped from war-torn Bosnia, and Newell's father had helped them find sanctuary in Canada. They referred to him as father, because without him, they weren't sure they would be alive today. Now, Newell's father had always been a deeply compassionate person, and this compassion expressed itself in his work with refugees all over the world throughout his life. But at the same time of being a compassionate man, he was also a very conservative man in his religious beliefs. So at the end of the day, his feeling towards refugees, a feeling he didn't keep to himself, his feeling towards refugees who belonged to other faith traditions was that they would be much better off if they became Christian. In other words, his religious ego was big. The summer before he died, however, Newell noticed that his father's religious ego began to dissolve. His father always loved to pray with the people who visited and cared for him, so late one summer evening, as the sun was shining through the window and Sylvia and Bosch were preparing to leave, When Newell asked his father to pray, his father said yes. They all stood up and held hands in a circle, and Newell's father began his prayer by saying these words, Without you, O God, we would not be. And because of you, O God, we are one family. Newell looked up across the circle and saw tears streaming down the faces of Bosch and Sylvia, They knew they were one family, but they had never heard Newell's father say it out loud. Not until right then. We all are thirsty for something more. And as we journey from place to place in our walk with one another and with God, my prayer for us is that we find the courage to reach out to another person not just with signs of strength or really helpful words of wisdom, that we might reach out to others with a simple request. I am thirsty. Give me something to drink. It's 3 a.m., and Gethsemane Abbey is wrapped in a cloak of darkness, as impenetrable as the silence that surrounds it. The forest and hills in the midst of which it sits are enveloped by a dense fog, much like we had this morning, a fog that only adds layers to darkness and to the quiet. But within its sanctuary, already the monastery is stirring. Monks emerge from doors leading from their living quarters to the church. As light is emitted from the opening door, now and again, if you're lucky, you can just make them out processing quietly to their places in the choir to stand or to sit in prayer. By 3.15, they will all be in their places ready for the first office of the day, vigil. A voice speaks, O God, 
come to my assistance. And all respond, O Lord, make haste to help me. Amen.